and welcome to the Ride Fat Bike Show on Mountain Bike Radio. Uh, tonight I'm your host, Ben Welnack, and something a little bit different. We are uh, doing an on-location show from Pedal of Littleton, um, bike shop here in, in, in Littleton. Uh, fairly new, about been here about a year and a half, and they were gracious enough to let me be on uh, be on location with my guests so thank you to them uh the show is also brought to you by ridefatbikes.com so check it out um they're kind of the name behind the show uh, a buddy of mine out in minnesota runs that site but it's ridefatbikes.com and it's also brought to you by xxc magazine check it out at xxcmag.com um, i also want to give a, a special thanks to black shirt brewing company here in denver uh, they provided three growlers of beer for, we have a couple guests and then uh, the, the guest, uh, Jeff and I, um, so that's plenty of beer. <laughs> um, and I also wanted to say thanks, uh, my guest is, uh, and he'll be talking about everything from where he came from to, to his upcoming expedition, but I just want to say a special thanks to his sponsors, uh, Gates Carbon Belt Drive, they're here in Denver, uh, Fallbrook Technologies, Ergon, J-Pax Adventure Cycling Frames. Uh, J-Pax is also here in Denver. He, uh, Joe Tonsager does great stuff. Uh, check it out at J-Pax, which is jpaks.com. And then again, Black Shirt Brewing. So, um, but anyhow, that's enough with uh, all the details up front. Um, my guest today, his name is Jeff Harper. And he's joining me to discuss uh, his next adventure, which he's calling Unchained Iceland. Um, but before we get to that, uh, I think Jeff has a pretty interesting background and a lot of, he sounds like he's done a lot of stuff. Um, and I want him to give you enough, you know, an idea of how, where he came from and kind of how he got to this point of uh, riding a fat bike around Iceland. So thank you, Jeff, for joining me. Thank you, Ben. So, yeah, no problem. So, tell me a little bit about, let's start from the beginning, or not the beginning, but, you know, your adventure background. So, how did you get into doing stuff? You know, before we talk about, I guess I should explain a little bit better, Unchained Iceland is uh, 500 miles of riding a fat bike, um, and I'll let you do all that other sure. description. Sure. Um, so, before you get to that, tell us how it started. Well, I've always been a big bike rider ever since I was a kid. Um, not so much on the racing side, just more on the kind of exploration side, you know, take my bike wherever and go and see what, see what I can see. And basically, so fast forward a few years when I came to America, I got into climbing and mountaineering. And effectively uh, did all my learning mountaineering in uh, Pacific Northwest in the Cascade Range. And I wound up on Mount McKinley uh, in 2009, summer to Denali. So, Using all the mountaineering background that I have and my passion for bikes, um, that's essentially where Unchained Iceland came from. Um, you know, when I bought the, the fat bike back in December, I wanted to do something big, and it took me probably about three or four months to come up with the idea, and that was when I came to Iceland. All right, cool. And uh, <coughs> I forgot to mention in the, my whole introduction that we have a couple guests here, so if they do have questions during the show, we're going to stop, and I'll, I'll make sure to repeat their questions. Um, and then if anybody's listening uh, and has any questions, uh, you can call in. We'll answer them and talk about them here. But it's 646-595-4113. And we'll link, just so I don't have to say it 10 times, we'll link all this stuff if you go to mountainbikeradio.com and you'll be able to check out the 
recent items on the homepage and you'll be able to click there and then all the links will be there. So anything Jeff talks about, um, you know, links to sponsors, links to maps, links to his site, um, it's all going to be there. So, but it's 646-595-4113 and we'll be here for as long as we talk, probably 45 minutes, I would guess. As long as the beer lasts, right? Yeah, as long as the beer lasts. Um, all right, cool. So brings us to this. So you said it took, you know, three or four months to, uh, come up with this idea, like, you know, what was the process of, yeah, how do you, how do you come up on doing this? So I started riding the bike, I took it up into Crested Butte, I took it up to Aspen, I started riding some, riding some pretty kind of, uh, kind of off the track kind of stuff, and the whole time I was riding I was thinking, well what's a big adventure, what's something I can do, a multi-day event, where can I go? You know, and I started, I got online, I looked around, and I saw that there's a bunch of guys doing stuff in Alaska, you know, there's a bunch of guys actually down in South America, Doing some pretty cool stuff too, and I thought to myself, well, where, where haven't people been? And I'm from Europe, so I thought, mm. well, there's going to be somewhere in Europe that I need to go and, and do this. And so, having grown up in England and my best friends being Icelandic, from a very young age, I'd heard about the Northern Lights, the glaciers, the volcanic black sand beaches, all these kind of weird kind of geographical features mm -hmm. of Iceland. And so. I just started thinking about Iceland. And then I, first I thought, I'm just going to go there, take my bike there and ride a couple of the beaches around Reykjavik. And then from there, the kind of idea just kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where I got to, you know, Hoffman to Reykjavik, which is, which is 500 miles. So. Okay. And were there any uh, other serious uh, choices that you were, that you were, you know, contemplating or once you kind of just were poking around and then came upon Iceland as the, as the final destination? Probably Alaska, you know, I was looking because okay. I, I spent some time on, you know, in uh, Alaska, climbing McKinley and Kentucky, yeah. you know, it's such a neat place, but that, it was between Alaska and Iceland. I, I, you know, I did consider Norway as well, but there's a lot of guys in Norway doing different kind mm -hmm. of, it's, it's flatter and it's less extreme and it's not quite so beach oriented. I, I wanted to go somewhere where there was a, a fairly continuous stretch of beach. Okay. And Iceland has that, and it's the South Coast, renowned for its South Coast beaches. Alright, so let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the details. So. Tell us, you know, like I mentioned, Unchained Iceland, but just tell us, you made the decision, and tell us what you're going to be doing. <laughs> it's actually kind of, you know, it's, it's going to be very hard to tell you what exactly I'm going to be doing, because the beaches are in a, a constant state of flux. You've got glaciers, which melt, depending on the ambient temperature of the day, so the increased flow, they can be big, you know, uncrossable, or they can be minimal, crossable. I can ride the fat bike through them. Those are going to be going out to the ocean. There's also ocean inlets that, depending upon the tide, are going to be the same thing. They're either going to be up or they're going to be down. And again, either I can either ride through them or I'm going to go around them. Yeah. So, on a daily basis, I don't really know what I'm going to come across. All right. So, it'll be roughly 500 miles. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and where are you starting? Where, where, are the, where is the plan start and the plan finish? The plan starts in Hoffen. It's a little fishing village uh, towards the far east coast of Iceland. It's actually, if I go any further, it's sheer cliff. And so there'll be no point in starting there because I'm too dangerous and there's nowhere to ride. So, um, Hoffen is the first place I can get to and actually get on a beach and head um, west back to Reykjavik. Okay. So, so yeah, right there is where I'll start. And how many days? What's what's the plan? What are you thinking as far as, you know, well, I've, given, I've given myself four weeks. Okay. Um, I don't anticipate it taking four weeks unless I have an issue. Okay. Um, 
which fingers crossed I won't. But um, you know, and and we'll talk about the gear in a bit. So sure. I think you have tried to minimize your your issues with the gear situation, yeah. but we'll we'll get to that. Sure, so. sure. So um, if you guys have any questions, anything, yeah, throw it out there, and I'll just repeat it, and anybody listening will will get it on there. So trying to trying to keep it, you know. Well, this, so listeners, uh, this is a little bit of practice. You know, if, if there's any other bike shops out there, um, we're definitely be doing more of these. So you can always shoot me an email at ben at mountainbikeradio.com and we can set stuff up. But just hang with us if it's a little loud or if it's a little, you know, it's it's a first uh, run at one of these shows. So, but anyhow, so yeah, so you gave yourself four weeks um, and. You know, what's the end of August? What's the exact date you're leaving? Um, because I'm waiting for gear to be made, um, a lot of the gear is custom. I've actually pushed the trip back probably a, about a week. So I originally was shooting for the 1st of August. I'm probably going to be doing the second week of August, the first or second week. So um, I'm anticipating basically all the way through to the end of August. I should finish around about the 1st of September. If I run into problems, if some, you know, an issue, then I have an extra week just to kind of, you know, Take care of that. But I want to. I want to. I'm shooting for riding six, seven hours a day at least. Okay. I mean, that's not always going to happen because of torrential rain mm-hmm. and the winds that come off the ocean right there are horrendous. I mean, they can be. I've heard guys that have ridden on the ring road, which is significantly off the beach, getting blown off their bikes by the by the wind. Yeah. So, so it's not going to be. You know, there's going to be days when I can't ride. Yeah. So with um, you know, with that, you know, six to seven hours a day takes a lot of training. I mean, I mean. We're talking, you know, this is no, you're spending all this money, all this time to go. So take us through some of your training. I mean, have you ever, first of all, have you ever ridden there? Have you ever been there? I've stopped in Reykjavik. Okay. So uh, there's a, you know, you, on the way back to the UK, there's a number of ways you can do it. Uh, I've, I've stopped in Reykjavik and bounced from Reykjavik to London. And I've seen out of the plane window okay. what the coastline looks like. Um, up close and personal, no. Yeah. That's, uh, that's yet to be, uh, <laughs> that's yet to be experienced. So. Okay. But you know, I, these days with satellite imaging, you know, you can go on Google Earth. Yep. You can go pretty much anywhere, and you can find pretty good representations of that, that southern coastline. Mm-hmm. So I have a good idea, you know, of, of what it is and, and what kind of a nightmare to expect. Okay. Know? So what are you doing? What are you doing now? What's the training like? Um, getting ready for this. The training thing? is, you know, I ride three or four thirty miles a week. You know, trail rides um, up in the hills, and I do one big ride a week. Um, that's going to be probably about a, a 40 or a 50 mile. I mean, the difference being, we're here in Colorado, we're up at 55 to 9,000 feet, essentially, mm-hmm. and Iceland I'll be on, on the beach at sea level. So, you know, and I won't be doing uh, up and down so much, it should be a lot flatter. So, mm-hmm. so I feel it's pretty good training for that, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I can imagine, you know, what the training is not so much, you know, you can get out, you're, once you get to that certain fitness level, you can get out and kind of go every day. Yeah, you know, exactly. Um, I would imagine it's more of the put yourself in that kind of mindset, put yourself there. Yeah. And so, has there been any times where, you know, it was raining and windy? You know, like earlier in the year, maybe February when it was a snowing, that kind of thing, where you got out and said, absolutely. "Okay, this." Is- absolutely. Actually, I, I've looked specifically for those days. Okay. Um, actually, last week we had a day of rain. I'm like, all right, this is awesome. I'm gonna get out there, you know. And I actually wore a t-shirt and shorts and got out there. And it was, I mean, it wasn't nice and cold. Yeah, yeah. But it was, you know, it was as close as I was gonna to get to that. And I actually run in the tires. I run about 10 psi less than those tires are rated for, just because I'm looking for a little bit more rolling resistance. 
to give me a little bit more of the feel of running in sand, which yeah. is obviously I'm going to have more, more rolling resistance. There, yeah. so. Dragging logs and stuff. You, you, yeah, something, something like that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Do you ever do? You ever go down to Chatfield? And there's a local. Yeah. There's a local reservoir here, and it's primarily sure. sand right now all around there. So yeah, how much of that do you? Yeah, I'd find beaches and go Absolutely, just go kind of go in out of the waterline. Sure. Right. Um, again, great training. You know, you get covered in mud, and you get to learn how to get dirty. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's great. It's, it's great training for sure. All right. Is there anything? Uh, have you had a, a, a training? Let's say just a training ride. You know, earlier this spring that you you got home and your hands were frozen. Or what, is there one that maybe sticks out in your mind? Like, yeah, that it hurt like hell, but you got home and you're like, that was perfect. Yeah, I went out to Apex and I and I rode Apex. Um, I'm sure you've ridden Apex plenty mm-hmm. times yourself. It's steep. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a 37 pound bike. And actually, when I got <laughs> when I got on the when I got on the backside of Apex, it was just three foot snow. And so I actually get to get off the bike and drag it. I was determined not to turn around and go back down the way I came. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do the full loop, so I actually had to drag the bike through, you know, two or three feet of snow. I, you know, I was I was off the bike effectively, but it was. In terms of kind of mental conditioning, it was good because I, I, again, I had a t-shirt on, I had a pair of shorts, and I had a pair of sneakers with gaiters on, yeah. and I just dragged myself through. But that one sticks out as kind of like the the tough ones. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> like I mentioned, it, you know, with the the training, the, the fitness part is only the mental, and then the gear is probably Absolutely. almost more Absolutely. of more yeah, of the part of right. kind of thing like this. Um, have you done any other bike touring? Multi-day stuff, uh, minimal. You know, nothing. Just. More road bike oriented, you know, touring bike oriented, mm-hmm. um, panniers and just, you know, stopping off at hostels. Nothing really like this. You know, this is definitely borrows from my expedition experience of mountaineering and my love of biking. And somewhere in, in between those, this is what this is about. So. Okay. People are thinking at this point, for the average rider, why the hell would you, like, this, this is a lot. Like, you look at people coming, you know, coming through the shop and they're like, you know, Hey, I just need my tire fixed, and you're like planning to do 500 miles. What, like, why? What, what in you causes you to do these kind of things? We have a, a buddy in the crowd here, Ken, who does all this kind of stuff too, and I, I should ask him at some point too on the air, but um, we'll get that. But what drives you to, to get out there and say, hey, this is a good idea to go do this? You know what? I, it's, I'm sure kind of backing up on this. It's not really a, a conscious decision as such. It's just something that just drives you. Something that just drives you to. I just want to do something a bit bigger than I think I can do. You know, it's it's kind of an age-old question. Right? It's like why yeah. do we do these things? Yeah. You know, it's, it's for me to put a finite point on it. It's very difficult. But I just know that when I've done them, the feeling afterwards is is, is what I'm. You know, that sense of achievement, the sense of overcoming something that I thought I couldn't, might not be able to do. You know, that's what it is, and that's essentially the, the ethos behind the, the plan. It's like think of something that's a little bit beyond you, and then go do it. Yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of where it comes from. No, that's that's fair. Um, has anybody done this route before? Apparently not. I mean, I've asked a bunch of guys, um, guys who ride out there a lot, uh, or from all over, over Europe. It's quite a destination for for uh, adventure cycling, actually. Okay. And most guys ride the ring road that goes all the way around, and all those guys said. Uh, you could probably do it. Don't know, kind of thing. And, and I said, has anyone else done it to, that, to those guys? And they say no. So, so then I'm instantly, I'm like, all right, that's what I've got to do. <laughs> all right. So you decided a while ago and putting this training in. When did you? At what point? You know, was it the gear first? You know, your background and gear first, or was it okay? I'm just going to do this, and then you filled in everything else with the gear. 
You know what I mean? So like, did you already were you already on a fat bike and you know had all the stuff and were kind of in that, or was it like, all right, I'm gonna need to get all this? No, I see what you're saying. It's an interesting evolution. When I got the bike, when I when I first bought the bike, you know, I thought about buying gear for the bike, so so I'd be able to do stuff. And I thought, well, I already kind of had the gear, which is my mountaineering gear. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started putting on the mountain gear. You know, put my gaiters on. I put my different merino on. I'd, I'd have all my effectively my mountaineering gear on, but I'd be on the bike. And it just got me in that that mindset of like, well, this is this is kind of mountaineering, but it's on a bike. And so that's kind of you know that's kind of where it started. That's where the spark started. For sure. Yeah. So let's. Uh, that was my little segue into gear. Um, <laughs> but uh, before I do that, I just want to make a mention uh, of the show brought to you by the show uh, sponsors here. Again, thanks to Pedal of Littleton, uh, those guys. And the reason they brought you in here is because you got your 907 fat bike here. Yep, Andy. And Andy knows the stuff. So yep. if anybody ever has any questions in the Denver area or if you're outside the Denver area, call these guys up. Andy's been riding a fat bike for several years. He can answer pretty much every question. Yeah, I actually, and there's a story there. And actually, yeah. I, oh, I, I went around uh, probably five or six bike shops that were selling fat bikes. But they were effectively selling them because they were the newest thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And the guys didn't, I could tell the guys didn't know that much about them. And so I would go from one to the next to the next with these kind of confused ideas. And then I came to Pedal here, and Annie just was like, Zen, this is, this is it. This is, this is the one you want for this job. This is the bike. And, and he told me about his history with that bike, and I was like, all right, this is the guy I need to buy the bike from. So that's, yeah. that's literally how that works. Yeah, and he actually just sold it uh, earlier, I think it was maybe January or something, he sold his Pugsley he's been riding for several years. He like, no! They sold the white Pugsley? Yeah, yeah, wow. he, he got, I think he's getting ready for a new one. Um, but he was like, yeah, I'm sure. You know, I'm so, sure. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, um, he's riding the Krampus now. Gotcha. That's, that's gotcha. his oh, gotcha. summer yeah. mode. Um, but yeah, so thanks to Pedal again, just for allowing us to do this. I, you know, really appreciate it. Check it out, uh, pedalonline.com. Um, and also ridefatbikes.com and xxcmag.com. Um, all right, so gear. We are, you know, we touched on the fat bike here. Right. Um, there's a lot of stuff, you know, fat bikes have become popular the last few years. A lot of stuff out there, like you said, you went all these different shops, ton of information now, but, you know, it's still not all together, so there's a lot of different parts going on, right? So how do you decide, how did you decide on going with the 907 built up as it is, what is it, the Tuscan? Yeah, it's uh, level. exactly the Tuscan yep. level. Yeah, so um, the bikes that we're riding were all traditional <coughs> chain drive bikes, and I wanted to ride in the snow. And what made more sense is to stick with the derailleur ride. If you're riding in the snow, you don't want the derailleur dragging in the snow. So instantly, when I kind of laid eyes on the, the bike I had, the 907 Tuscan, it doesn't have any of the any of the machinery hanging down from the back wheel. So that was a, an instant kind of okay, this is interesting. And then Andy encouraged me to ride the bike, and he said, you, just, you know, these belt ride bikes, you got to check them out. You know, obviously, with the, coupled with the internally geared hub, I was like, all right, so let's see what's, see what's going on. It was actually middle of December, I came down here, it was a, a couple of feet of snow outside, and I took it for a blast, and I didn't want to come back. I literally was, uh, I was so impressed with it. I was so impressed with the traction, too, because I'd assumed any time I'd ridden a bike on snow before, you just all over, oh, you yeah. just all over the place, right? And I just couldn't believe that I could, you know, I could... I could throw it into a turn and it would just hold it. And the 907 also has a slightly larger, longer wheelbase, mm -hmm. which appealed to me because I'm a, a long limbed rider mm -hmm. and I'm often cramped on the bike, so mm -hmm. the frame geometry of the 907 worked really well for me. So all of those, all of those uh, factors kind of 
came together and, and made it the right bike for me. All right, so we'll talk a little bit more about the, the belt drive. There, we, you know, there's still people that come in the shop and they're like, whoa, what is that? So just give us, you, you mentioned the belt drive, just talk about a little bit more about that and with the hub too, you're running the three, new Vinci 360, 360 right? Yeah. So it's a, basically it's a continuous gear, so, right? Yeah, exactly. The, um, the new Vinci is a constantly variable transmission, CVT. And basically, on the right handle grip, you twist up to loosen the ratio and down to, to gain more ratio. So basically, as you pedal, as you push torque through the pedals, you're not going to lose any torque. You can actually change gear as you're pedaling, which is, you know how that is when you're on a bike. Mm -hmm. you, even subconsciously, you get off the gas a little bit. You don't have to at all here, and it takes a bit of getting used to. Yeah. You know, when you're twisting through oh, yeah. gears, and, and, you're, and you're still hammering. Yeah. So that in itself... Um, you, don't, you don't realize how much... Um, you expect the bike to tell you which gear it's, you're in right. until you get on that. Then it's like, well, I can kind of choose where I want to. Exactly, and you, can, and you can fine tune it too. You know, yep. you can just, just tiny little twist, or you can jump quickly and still just pushing the power through the pedals. So, yep. so that was instantly attractive to me. I mean, the belt driving itself is just—it's just not temperamental. You know, it's chains can be very temperamental. The belt drive is just solid. You know, the tension you have for that belt drive just makes it, it's almost cogs and it's stuck there. So you can just forget about slipping a, you know, slipping a chain, slipping a cog. It doesn't, you don't think about that anymore. And no, uh, no seawater, or no, no. Uh, seawater well, situation. Well, exactly, that, that translates to beach riding perfectly because, you know, trying to run a conventional metal chain through salt, sand, seawater, you're going you're gonna to wreck the chain. Yeah. But that's not going to happen with this thing, you know, this is... This is why it's perfect for the uh, Iceland trip. Yeah, and the same thing with the frame. I was going to mention, you know, aluminum frame yep. versus steel frame. So, um, all right, cool. So, talk about uh, and we, people listening at home. Uh, we have his bike just sitting off the side. So, if I keep referring to your bike over there, that's that's what I'm referring to. Um, so, just uh, oh yeah, if you want to see if you're listening live and you want to see what we're talking about, check out. Uh, Buddy of mine's gonna tag it on uh, Mountain Bike Radio on Twitter, so check it out. You can see what we're talking about. Uh, any other gear? Uh, I see you picked up the those 45 North pedals, um, tires. You want to talk about just the other little stuff, and then we'll talk about kind of the other gear that you're gonna be carrying. Yeah, you know, I was gonna go with clips. I was gonna go with the circuit clipless, but I decided in the end that the amount of time I spent off the bike and on the bike, I needed to be able to wear a shoe on the sand as well. Also in the snow, one of them riding in the snow riding. So I wanted to go with the, you know, the big platform pedals, the pedals which you have, which which is which are fantastic. I really like them. Mm -hmm. You know, they give me a bit more versatility. I think with the clipless boots, I'm going to lose that. You know, treading on sand, getting sand in there. Yeah. It's just going to become a pain. So this just seemed like a good, uh, a good kind of middle ground. Mm -hmm. Tires. Talk about the tires. Tires. Right there's, there's a lot of different choices. Yeah, and, sure. You know, and I guess the more, you know, the better question is how did you decide on the width of the tires because there's different you know different widths and uh, weights you know that sure. talk about that sure well you kind of standard fat bike tire is kind of between three and a half and four and a half inches these guys the tires I have on there right now are probably around about just over four but these are my summer tires for training effectively I won't be actually taking those to Iceland these are they're, really heavy they're crazy crazy, <laughs> crazy heavy which like 2,000 grams a tire yeah, to have like, yeah two kilos exactly per, per tire and then you add in the wheel weight as well that's a lot of weight there but the tires I will be taking are the 45 north uh, escalators okay which are 180 TPI yep. so they, they conform really nicely to 
you know, rocks and sand and th those are the guys I'll actually be taking now. I, mean, I, took, I took them off the summer because I didn't want to wear the knots down for them. Mm -hmm. I wanted to yep. keep them nice for the trip. Because they're good, but they're just not cheap. No, they're not cheap, <laughs> not cheap at all. These guys are probably half the price. Yeah, right, so. right, right. All right, uh, is there, uh, you know, you mentioned you're getting some uh, custom stuff done. Talk, talk a little bit about the bag situation. Uh, so you're getting all your bags done by uh, Joe over at JPAX, yep, and uh, he's over here in Denver. And like I said before, check it out, jpax.com. It's J-P-A-K-S.com. He, um, just a one-man show doing a really cool thing. And, you know, if you're ever here in Denver, he'll invite you over to his place. He's got a sweet little, it's not even his house. It's like his shop, which he lives in, right? right. It's a really cool little yeah. little thing. But right. he... Um, He's doing a bunch of custom bags, uh, really cool guy, knows his stuff because he's out riding like every afternoon, fully loaded down just to play with stuff. Um, but talk a little bit about the bags and, you know, talk a little bit about the process of Joel helping you decide because sure. you're not exactly experienced no. with all the bag situations, no, so no. talk right. about that. So I was originally going to go with like a, a rack system, a traditional rack and pannier system and a backpack. You know, Which is good if you want to add 30 pounds, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Which, Given the bike is 37 pounds already, I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I got, again, I got talking to Andy, and Andy said he may want to check out what uh, Joe does, JPAX. And so I found Joe online, and I shot him an email and said, look, Joe, this is what I'm doing. And I sent him my, my, uh, my blog site, and he got straight back to me. He was, like, super excited about it. He's like, it's awesome. I want to get involved. And so I went over to his house that same Friday. It was Tuesday. I contacted him. Friday, I went over there, and I basically spent an hour with Joe, and he just explained his gear to me and what it would do for the, what I would save weight-wise, what I could pack in the various different packs, how to load the packs, keep the center of gravity low, uh, food in the frame pack, um, camping gear in the uh, handlebar pack, kind of, and various stuff in the, in the seat pack. I mean, the seat pack's enormous. It's, it's like 14 or 16 liters. <laughs> most people's <laughs> idea of- Pack a small child. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, most people think of a seat pack as like tire leaders, patch kit, pump, spare and tube, but this is, and enormous, like literally the size of this small thing. And it hangs right out. But without the, um, without the rackets, you know, it's saving so much weight there. So. And Joe was awesome. Joe uh, spent a lot of time with me, kind of. He, he drew a template for the frame pack. He's actually going to custom make that for me. All right. Cool. cool. And, you know, I, I can't imagine, I, I don't know what the weather's like, so, you know, tell us a little bit of the weather and then talk about maybe some of the clothing. And you know maybe the tent situation, what are you sure. doing for sleeping situation? Sure. But talk about the the weather and the clothing first, because with the you know with the winds and the the rain and all that kind of stuff. Um, sure. But first, I want to ask you: Do you guys have any questions uh, first, or anything you want to? Good so far, Aaron. Well, I wanted to ask about the weather, but it sounds like you're gonna okay. cover that. I know you mentioned ups and there's the winds and the rain, but temperature-wise and, and conditions as far as Sure. All right. So we had a. It, I'll, I'll just rehash it. We just had a question from one of the the guests um, about the weather. He's just curious, you know, basically with the wind and the rain and how how you deal with that kind of thing. So just you know, first talk about that, and then uh, the gear that you're hoping does the job. Sure. So up in Iceland, people tend to think because of it's such a high um, latitude that it's going to be freezing, freezing cold. But in actual fact, the Gulf Stream runs up from the Caribbean, up the east coast of America, crosses the Atlantic, and actually passes right in between England and Iceland. 
So the southern coast of Iceland is actually not as cold as you would imagine. Okay. Looking at a daytime temperature of probably about 55 degrees and a nighttime temperature of 45 degrees. So okay. it's not a huge swing and it's not freezing, freezing cold. Yeah. But it is cold enough to be, if you get soaked. If you're wet, yeah. It's a pretty uncomfortable, yeah. Absolutely. So I'm going to be taking a, a mountaineering tent, a waterproof mountaineering tent, one for, that's actually designed for high altitude. Um, and effectively, my whole kit is going to be same as what you'd wear when you climb. Okay. You know, um, a lot of merino. So a lot of merino base layers. I'm a big fan of merino because you can wear it for days without all, the, yeah, yeah. all those effects. You know. Yeah. Um, so merino, um, obviously a, a cycling bib, and and then when it rains, I'm going I'm to have a shell both top and bottom. Okay. And also a pair of uh, waterproof uh, La Sportiva actually uh, shoes, which have built-in gaiters on them. So my rain pants will fall yeah. over the top of the yeah. gate. So I'll, I'll shed rain. I mean, I'll get I'll get rain in the face, and it will be, you know, <laughs> that'll be a test in of itself. But hopefully, I'll stay as dry as I can because I think as soon as I start getting wet, it's going to be really hard to dry off. So I have to really kick that down the road as best I can. Okay. Because once I'm in the tent, I mean, all I've got to dry the clothes is my body, my body heat, which is you know not particularly effective. So. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, mountaineering gear, a lot of Gore-Tex, a lot of Merino, um, and trying to be as sound as I can about staying dry. Okay, so do you have an idea what's, what is all the clothing, just the clothing weigh? We'll get to the food situation, but uh, what is the clothing weigh that you're packing? Oh, uh, well, I'll be wearing most of it. I mean, I'm going to wear, you know, like the Merino knickers, basically. Um, so you're not taking you're not taking a whole lot extra. Oh, you're no. just no, what no. you have is what you what you got. Yeah, again for weight, you know, it's, yep. it's, I've got to save weight, and effectively I'll be, you know, there won't be anyone around me to complain about the worst amount. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yep. so effectively, you know, I'll be wearing the same stuff. There might be a couple of opportunities in town for me to hit a laundromat or something, but I have a feeling that I'm just going to want to push on. Okay. Um, so yeah, just just basically one one set of clothes, you know, is really how I'm going to do it. Okay. And let's talk about the the food situation. What you know, are there towns like in between here? Or are you just like out by yourself for you know all this time, or how how's that work? And where are you going to eat? What are you packing? Sure. So what kind of food are you packing? Like, are you going to have like a little camp stove, or are you going like, all right, just all dry? Talk about that. A little bit of both. I'm going to okay. have a camp stove with me where I can use the camp stove. I'll uh, you know I may have some pre-packed like freeze-dried type food with me, like the mountain house uh, style, yep. you know. Get a bunch of those going, you know, and also be taking a bunch of protein and power bars. Um, and when I hit towns, I'll try and get a bit of fruit here and there. There's a, all the way along the, the south coast, there are towns scattered, and I'll, I'll hit those kind of. I know exactly where they are. So, how many, like, how many miles in between each town, roughly, do you think? Probably between 50 and 100. And some of them really aren't big towns. Some, okay. of, them, some of them are maybe a, a gas station. A couple houses and a gas station. Yeah, okay. exactly. Which is, you know, you're not going to get much there. But luckily I have the, at least again, the guys that have kind of clued me into the, the whole route, whether it was doable or not, they've all been really helpful in saying, well, watch out between here and here because this is a hundred mile with no, with no, with no food. Which is, could be three days if you get stuck in you know, rain and that kind of thing. Absolutely, because they're riding the road and I'm riding the beach. So I have to allow more time for the fact I'm riding the beach. So. You know, I'm going to be carrying a lot, quite a bit of food. I think there'll be some food that I won't want to touch, which will be in my, yeah. my reserve. Oh yeah, you'll, you know, yeah, it'll be there at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just the just in case food that I really don't want to get into. But I've got a good idea of where I can load up, where I can stock up on food, and that's really what I want to do. So, all right. And so the water, of course, I'll be getting from the glacial streams that go out to the ocean. You right, can actually drink, you can drink that stuff like, straight away, which is huge for weight savings. I'm not have to carry like five liters of 
not having to melt snow, carry mm-hmm. five liters of water, I can actually, as I go, refuel with, it, with water. So. All right. So what's the, uh, what's the wildlife situation like? Because, you know, a lot of people are on the, doing the divide right now and everything is grizzly bears, you know, grizzly bears. Um, is there anything you need to worry about as far as, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't even know if, if there's like a population of polar bears. I don't even know what, is there anything you need to worry about as far as that's concerned? No, actually, that's one second grace that I won't have to worry about is about the most dangerous animal you're going to come across that is a puffin. And I don't think they're no. going to mess with it too yeah, much. No. You know, they, they have a... They have thousands of puffins out there, and they, literally that's about it. Maybe not. They're going to waddle in your way? Or, or <laughs> well, maybe there's enough of them, they'll take me on, I don't know. But, um, no, there's, there's, there's puffins out there, and there's, uh, right. and there's arctic foxes. But other than that, there's yeah. no like alpha big predators. So that's kind of a, I'll take the cold over a bear. You know, that's yeah. The, you know, yeah. I, I can stomach the cold, I can, I can tough it out. But, the, but a bear, that's a different issue. Yep. And, you know, tell people, you know, you're going to be, uh, you know, writing about this as you go. Uh, pictures, yep. um, kind of that stuff. T- tell people like a daily routine. Well, tell people what the planned daily routine would be for you for this trip. So okay, I think at night time I'll go, I'll go to bed and I'll plan my next day. I'll say, okay, I'm here, and I'll use GPS to figure out where I am. I'll look at a map and I'll say, and I want to get to here today. Whether I get there or not, it's going to depend on all the variables of the day. But I'll, you know, I'll get up, I'll break camp, you know, I'll get some pictures. Um, I'll get moving on the beach, you know, I'll, I'll see where I can get to. It means stopping off at a town or stopping. I'm going to do some of the kind of uh, diversions to get some good pictures. Um, some pictures I'll be using just a smaller camera, which I can actually upload straight to the blog. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually going to take a nicer camera with me to get some really high quality pictures. Okay. Um, which I won't be able to kind of download until I get back to the real world, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll get as far as I can in a day, and when it gets dark or when the conditions get unrightable, I'll stop, I'll set up camp again, and I'll, you know, I'll talk about the day on the blog, talk about what I ran into, the conditions. They're not too lengthy, fairly short kind of blog posts. Yeah. I'll actually be carrying a, a portable Wi Fi device that I'm picking up in Reykjavik when I get there. Okay. And so that'll give me 3 or 4G in most places around Iceland, which is kind of crazy because there's only 7 people per square mile in the, yeah, you know, yeah. for the whole country. I'm going to be in remote parts, but I'll still have coverage, okay. which my mom's pretty stoked about, so. Yeah, yeah. She said she's happy. Moms are always yeah. worried about that kind exactly. of stuff. Exactly. So is there anything, is there any, you know, obviously you have a pot, you're a very positive guy, a very positive mindset going into this. You have to, you know, you have to. Um, but is there anything that, that worries you or, you know, kind of, that, that makes it seem like it's that, just a little bit more, like you mentioned, just a little bit more than what you, think you can do, what is, you know, what are those worries or concerns? You know, there's going to be places, I'm concerned that I'll perhaps reach a place that's impossible. You know, if I run, if I'm, if I'm going along a beach and I hit an inlet and it's six feet deep and I'm running at a really fast time, and they're going to have to obviously detour into land. And if I, you know, if I'm following that in and I don't really know where it's going, you know, I can use GPS to kind of figure out where I am, but, you know, trying to find a bridge across or trying to find a crossing point, you know, if night comes and I need to camp, those are kind of going to be the moments that really challenge me in terms of like I've got to, got to figure out a good plan here to, to make this kind of safe and, and doable still. So there's that and there's also, you know, there's mechanical aspects of the bike. You know, if something happens to the bike and I was in the middle of nowhere, what would I do? Um, again, preparation, having food, having a tent, you know, I'm, the tent I'm taking, I'm going to put up, take down, put up, take down a hundred times before I go on the trip, yeah. just to learn how to do it in the dark effectively, because yeah. I may have to do that in torrential rain. 
Um, and then there's a mechanical breakdown of me, you know, if I get injured. If, you know, accidents happen, if I come off the bike somewhere, um, break a wrist or, you know, go for a bit, you just don't know. So that kind of stuff sits in my mind and I'll be, as, I, as I'm going through the trip, just very conscious of that, just to try and minimize risk at all, at all moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing, I think a lot of people, you know, average riders get out and they're like, oh, I'm going to go race, you know, ride at whatever certain speed. And when you're doing this kind of thing, you have to realize you're really dialing it back and, like you said, minimizing risk Absolutely. and just going steady and Absolutely. keeping the rubber down. Um, and uh, do you guys have any questions or anything? Anything else? That I've I... got a couple questions. Yeah, what's up? Uh, first of all, will you be able to make a So, so I'll, I'll rehash that one and I'll let you ask the next one. So the question was, is he going to be able to, is, is there going to be any chance to take advantage of the thermal hot springs? Is there any along the way? Um, so what, what's the scoop with that? Yeah, did the, did the local riders tell you where to, where to stop? That's <laughs> funny you said it. I actually did. Um, yes, there are a few different places that I've marked on the map. That I hope, hopefully, going to be able to stop because after a long day's ride, what could be better than getting in like a <laughs> just a 80, 90 degree warm uh, salt bar? So yeah, I'm going to be looking for those for sure. You know, depending on what time of day I get there, I'll, it will depend on whether I can actually get in them or not. But I know exactly where they are, so I'll be I'll be uh, I'll be shooting for those for sure. So you're you're making this you're making this seem like it's a this is a tough thing, and you're going from hot spring to hot <laughs> spring. Right? So what? Yeah, what was the other question? What are Yeah, so the situation with the, the light situation. Um, it's, it's the perfect time of year. Um, it's actually one of the reasons, it's exactly one of the reasons that I chose it because I I kind of have this shot that I want to get and it's, you know, it's kind of a self-portrait shot. It's me, the bikes in the background a little bit. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's the yeah. ocean and then there's the aurora above it, you know. Whether or not I get that shot, we'll see. But that's, in my mind, if I could get that shot, that would be perfect. And that's exactly why I chose that time of year, so. In Worst case, you get a shot without you with the with the northern lights there. So yeah. So so Aaron, what, what you had another question or? Okay, Ken, do you have any? So the question is, you know, that time of year, that that uh, latitude, you're looking at, you know, a significant amount of light, you know, like what, 17, 18 hours, something like that. Um, why only limit yourself to a certain amount of uh, hours to each day? You're exactly right. Sorry, I, my, when I studied that, the six hours is my, kind of what my, I'm trying to average. Um, and there's going to be some days where I'm in the tent and I don't write any. It's raining, it's just miserable, and I'm just, maybe I'm beaten up from a, a hard day before, which may have been a 10 or a 12, who knows. Um, but I'm, I'm looking to average over the whole trip, probably six hours. But uh, yeah, absolutely, if I can ride, I'll ride. And if I've got wind behind me, I'm not getting off the bike. You know? Absolutely, you know, it's, uh, that's the way I'm going to do it for sure. What's the uh, longest, you've ever, longest day you've ever spent on a bike? How many hours? Probably um, 14 hours. Of, of good riding. Okay, so you've done it before. 
Yeah. Even if you're not necessarily shaped, your head says you can do it. You'll be fine. Yeah. 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 What is your longest day? The question is, what is your longest day of mountaineering been? Probably twelve hours. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, I was. See, I'm, I'm telling you, Ken over here. He, what's <laughs> Ken? What's your longest day? Sixty hours. Sixty hours. Yeah. Just didn't stop. Yep. You must have been doing some uh, serious angle stuff for that. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so where can, uh, and, and like I said, I'll do the mention again, but I'll link everything to the, in the show notes um, on mountainbikeradio.com. If you go to the recent shows, you'll see that pop up. It should be in the morning. So I'll send a link to all you guys. Um, and, uh, but where can people find you? Um, what's your blog? Uh, maybe anything else about the blog that you, you mentioned you're going to be updating daily. Is there anything else people should look out for? Or so it's unchainediceland.wordpress.com is my blog. Um, Gates Carbon Drive. I'm going to be on those guys' blogs as well. Uh, also on their Facebook page, um, Novinci, Fulbrook. Those guys are going to be featuring me on their blog and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I dare say Andy here at Pedal will put a few pictures up of me doing yep. uh, doing my stuff. But that's going to be basically uh, three or three cycling. Actually, did a, an article yep. on me. Um, hopefully, and I'll link that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you know, we're just picking up people as we go, kind of thing. Um, but every time I do pick somebody up, there'll be a media page on my site where you can actually see what's going on. You know, the latest interview will be out. For sure. Okay. For sure. And do you have? Uh, is there some? You're taking all these pictures. You're taking the big fancy camera. You want to get this, you know, northern light <laughs> shot. You're right. going to take these side trips. Right. They're not side trips, but little longer spots. Do you have a plan for? this whole adventure story in the future or is it going to be like a what kind of project or anything like that or is it just something that you just want to document you know at the moment I'm just focused on getting the project kind of done you know it's I'm kind of consumed with the details of it I feel like it, there'll be something afterwards I'm very sure there will be what it is at this point I don't really know I think once I, once I'm done with it mm-hmm. and I can kind of evaluate it then I'll, I'll be able to hopefully make something more of it. but mm-hmm. I, I know that I won't stop so right. there'll be something Right. Do you have a? And one last question: uh, Do you have any future uh, big, big ideas? You know, beyond. I know it's hard when you're when you're focused on doing this specific event. But is there anything in your head that's like always kind of been there? Something that you've always wanted to do? Maybe beyond this? Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always yeah. the next thing, right? Yeah. I think that uh, the southern island of New Zealand. Okay. It also has obviously a big coastal stretch, mm-hmm. which the black is perfectly suited for again so I don't know maybe maybe that's in the future right? you know if I can if I can make a success of this one then uh, I don't know. perhaps I can go to New Zealand sure. cool so if anybody wants to uh, check out what uh, Jeff has going on uh, just check the show notes and we'll link all that stuff and you can check it out so again I, w- I want to say thanks to uh, Pedal for hosting this uh, Ride Fat Bikes ridefatbikes.com um, and xxcmag.com and then Jeff sponsors like he mentioned Gates uh, Fallbrook Ergon JPAX and then again thanks to uh, Black Shirt Brewing for the beer we're going to probably have a couple more here while we talk So, and the guests seem to seem to dig it so but that'll do it so thank you very much for listening in to another episode of the Ride Fat Bike Show on Mountain Bike Radio